just wouldn't be anywhere else on a Wednesday morning, would you, Rawdon? <laughs> well, this is true. Certainly my ears wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Cam, that was extra voluminous, that uh, intro. Really blasted the eardrums. Yes. But we know we're, we're about to go on air when that happens. That's right. It flicks us mm. into go mode. And uh, look, it's a big show on the Under the Bar podcast today. Uh, my name is Tom Hewitt. With me is Rawdon Dubois, as he always is. And we've got Cam... Pushing, pushing the buttons, the buttons yep. which is wonderful. Mate, there's been a lot happening just in general. It's coming towards hey. the end of the year and, and everything's just going at a million miles an hour. Yep. Um, on the episode today, uh, we're going to get groundskeeper Willie, mm-hmm. uh, Luke Tullick from Lucid Health. Yep. He's a neuroscientist and he's here today to demystify mTOR. Yeah, give us a, a warts and all account of what's it all about. How the hell do we switch it on? Yep. And then um, dot I's cross T's with everything mTOR related. Yeah, there was a, a recent study that came out exploring yes. mTOR, and we're going to get Luke to break that down for us and put it into terms that we can actually apply. Yep. And when we got him in here, we thought, I oh, would just have a quick chat with Luke about mTOR, but the reality is that it's quite a complex Meeting. concept to get your mm. head around, and we actually ended up speaking to him for about an hour. Yep. So we're going to break it up into two parts. Two parts. So we'll have yep. the first half today. And so essentially in this study, what they did was they looked at the impact of a few mechanisms on mTOR. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. were growth factors, energy status, amino acids, mechanical stimuli, and Mm. supplementation. So these are these broad topics within the study that Luke's going to break down. And today, we'll do a bit of an overview of mTOR, Mm -hmm. and then we'll look at growth factors and energy status. Yep. And then in part two next week, that's when we'll go over the amino acids, mechanical stimuli, and supplementation. Very, very cool. And for our listeners that aren't quite as savvy as, as, as you and I, Tom, because we're very savvy, and Cam's savvy too, not sassy. The cheeky's hustling sassy, but we're savvy. And um, So mTOR is basically the that uh, that pathway that's going to elicit growth or the hypertrophy that you may or may not be... Well, everyone should be chasing it, let's be honest, You know, at the gym, whether it's fat loss or... or uh, any sort of body composition change, if we can uh, chuck a little bit of muscle on uh, via that mTOR pathway, uh, which will happen anyway regardless, but uh, Luke will actually, de- uh, you know, like you said, demystify a, a, a few misconceptions and um, how we actually do it. So that's what it's all about, mTOR, if you're not familiar. Yep, so we'll have Luke Tullock from Lucid Health Coaching coming up a bit later on in mm. the episode. Rawdon, you and I were just at the Christian Maurice Elemental Body Transformation Clinic yep. over the weekend. It was Getting a... our certification. Yes. With very hard 95% minimum uh, pass on his exams that he ran every day. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah it was quite uh, cortisol-inducing, actually. V- very cortisol-inducing. V- very good ploy on his behalf because it really, he actually couldn't just sort of yes. doze off and fluff around well, in the back. Well, you and I notoriously, you know, spitballs and arms yeah. folded at the back of the class, <laughs> heckling. Yeah. But we couldn't. No, we, we had to uh, dig deep in polywaffle, uh, you know, Pretty much as much as Christian did. Yes. Except he, when he polywaffles, it's actually uh, relevant content that is worth listening to. Whereas, uh, and, and the other point I might let our listeners know, he actually did this sneaky thing where, you know, at the end of each segment, mm. he would then say, tell me what you bloody learned. Yeah. So there yeah, I was. Not just my, what you learned, but what are you going to apply? Yes. So yeah. it was a double whammy. And then you go through each person individually. Yep. And then, you know, what always happens, I was in the middle, I'd have this greater answer, you know, and then the, the, the five people before me would say the exact same thing, you yeah. know. So I had to, yeah, it was really uh, cortisol-inducing. <laughs> but a really good way to, um, uh, I guess, make sure that we actually un- understood the concept and yeah. how we would apply the, the, the different things that we learned uh, from Christian into our day-to-day practice. So it was, it was really quite cool. And uh, another cool thing, I mean, we our listeners will know that we had tippy-toes there a couple of weeks earlier mm. at the Icon Performance Centre. Um, 
Icon Performance Health uh, facility over there in our time and uh, you know Sydney for our Sydney listeners and um, and you and I were talking about the uh, different presenting styles whereas uh, you know Christian uh, Thibs or Tippy Toes is very guns blazing and uh, and and uh, very vocal and um, mm. uh, animated with his whereas uh, Christian Maurice is very laid back and uh, you know a little softer spoken but but both have their uh, an amazing way to convey their their knowledge across and 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 put it in layman's terms so we all got it and we're, mm. both were pa- extremely passionate about making sure everyone understood yes. carried lots of uh, discussion and vastly different content in those two seminars and it, with Christian Maurice he went into so much detail about mm. the human body mm. and what's actually going on and really understanding how these systems of the body work and mm. you and I will go through just a couple of things that we that we picked yep. up from that certification and what uh, you know a few things that our listeners could apply off the back of us maybe breaking it down a fraction yep but um there's far too much content to even start scratching the surface on yeah. that one it was uh, a yeah. very very thorough yeah uh, three days it of was learning. a very thorough examination from uh, christian maurice he really <laughs> got uh, yeah he dug deep in that one that's he for dug, sure yeah now uh, not surprisingly Rod, and finally someone has bombs away and the yes. uh, and laid some speak pipe for us into the speak pipe yep so we'll Exciting. get to we'll get to the speak pipe very shortly but anyone else who wants to be a part of the program, they can go to our website, underthebarpodcast.com. And, and you will find out, uh, out when you do go there that it is a very slick, professional website. And, you know, unlike yourself, myself, and Cam. Well, Cam's somewhat professional. Yeah. But it, you will... Apart it's from the a, sleeping in. Yes. Yeah. Sleeping in and occasionally eating gluten, breaking the rules. But, uh, but yeah, it, it is very a uh, very slick website and... Um, Lots of content on there for, for, yes. for, for the listener. So people can go to the, the Under the Bar website, uh, check out the content, sign mm. up for the content upgrades. Yep. Uh, they can send us emails or they yep. can leave us a speak, speak, pipe, speak pipe just on the side of the page. Click the button and record a voicemail for us. Yep. To find out more about Rawdon, you can get a coming soon page yes, at the elusive. The, the com. <laughs> yep. Or check him out on Facebook and Instagram. Yep. And for myself, you can go to tomhewitt.com.au. A big show coming up. So, Rawdon, we really, you know, if we could find a way to actually uh, run a talkback show and have people, Mate. you know, dialing in real time, well, we would, but we're getting one step closer. Yeah, well, we actually want to, uh, well, we don't want to because it would require effort, but maybe our listeners could get a, some sort of petition to, to harass the radio stations to get us onto <laughs> something bigger and better. I mean, my, you know, Tom, we, we spoke about this, and Cam, I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware that, that I actually want to get on a billboard. Yeah, I want to be at the yeah. side of the road, yeah. you know, the, the lab coat's on, the, yeah. the, the, the UTB logo, you and I, uh, well, you'll have your eyes closed, of course, but I'll, I'll, be, uh, I'll be there doing my facey smile, my creepy facey smile, Yes, and uh, maybe Cam in the background, but that, that's my goal in life, is to get either on the back, I mean, I'll settle for a, a bus stop, yeah. a few bus stops, posters for a UTB uh, podcast, but that's the goal. But uh, we're one step closer to the mm. talkback with the speak pipe, and we do have a, uh, a speak pipe to play and to right. answer bombs away here huh? we go just get ready okay we're just going to loosen the strides and uh-huh. you know, just, just undo that r- zipper r- <laughs> okay strides are down <laughs> oh. hi guys my name is Costa a long time listener first time pub player would like to get your idea on meal timing mm. is this something that you guys seem necessary um, or would you just track your daily macros for the day um, and if it is something you guys believe in um, how would it differ from, let's say, a leaning phase to a bulking phase? 
<laughs> very meek and wild there, Costa. Yeah, first-time pie player. I like it. It was yeah. a nice touch. Very mm. good. Very good. Mm. That's funny. Touch of Costa humour there. I like it. Uh, righto, Costa. Well, I mean, look, first of all, let's say, uh, how long is that piece of string? Yes. And yes. Uh, it's I mean, let's. Uh, are we going to try and answer this one seriously, or are we yeah, just going to fluff around a no, bit? Polly Waffle. We'll, we'll have a go at answering this all one, right. Rodden, if that's all right with you. Okay. Now, okay. Um, let's just say from a fat loss perspective, and we've been through this before, that yep. uh, energy balance is king, mm-hmm. and uh, wherever those calories that's get in, that, that's the stance. All right. Now, what he's talking about is leaning and bulking. So mm. we'll take that to mean, obviously, bulking, increasing lean muscle mass, mm. leaning, maintaining as much muscle mass as you can whilst reducing body fat. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at optimal scenarios here for mm. uh, meal timing. Okay. There's a, a few concepts you want to introduce. Yes, I think we should just introduce a few co- concepts, which mm-hmm. we have touched on, but for the first time, listener, we'll get these cleared, and then we can sort of go into some bits and pieces. Uh-huh. Right, so fractional synthetic rate. Sometimes referred to as muscle protein synthesis, but yes. MPS. So the FSR, the fractional synthetic rate, or the MPS, is the rate at which muscle fibre will rebuild itself, repair, after it's been worked, after it's been damaged, after it's been stimulated. After the stimulus, yes. After the stimulus. Right. The fractional breakdown rate, otherwise known as the FBR, is the rate at which the muscle, well, it it breaks down. Yeah. And over that course of the recovery cycle, how well it repairs itself. And And it's always been an ebb and flow between breakdown and uh, synthetic rate. So FBR and FSR, it's either one or the other. One or the other, yes. And what you're trying to create is a scenario where the fractional synthetic rate overrides the breakdown rate, and at the end of the day, you have a net protein gain. Correct. Positive protein balance, yeah. Very nice. At the start of all these rates comes the stimulus. Yes. And what will play the role here is what we call the stimulus recovery adaptation curve, or, or or stimulus recovery adaptation cycle. From and the, the, the period of time that, from when the muscle initially gets stimulated. Yep, the, the disruption to homeostasis, correct. And then the period of recovery and then the net adaptation at the end of that process uh, resulting in a gain or benefit, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. So it could be a hypertrophy, it could be a nervous system work, it could be a strength improvement, a skill improvement, whatever. Yeah. And I will say also that the, the uh, SRA curve matches quite closely the MPS or fractional synthetic rate. The two, yes. are, two are sort of correlated. So I'd like to dig a little deeper on that one, Rodan, because that's a very good point. First of all, with the nervous system and the hypertrophy or metabolic work, yep. we're looking at two different curves of recovery here. And we might talk about this in a later episode. Mm. But if we just look at the hypertrophy or the recovery from some you know, metabolic-style training, that's when this uh, the recovery is going to be more fueled or, or depend more on nutrition. Mm. Let's look at how that matches the fractional synthetic rate. Because there's a few things that can play a part here. Obviously, training age, uh, yep. the amount of volume in the workout, how much stimulus was produced in the first place, Correct. what body part you were stimulating, and because yep, yep, different point. muscle groups uh, will recover at different rates. Mm. So when you look at all those things, Rodan, it paints a picture of we train, we disrupt homeostasis, yep. we're trying to force the body to then recover uh, to a point which is above where we started, yep. but then hang on, there's these different muscle groups and they're, they're all overlapping. They're all overlapping. There's yep. like this constant rate of um, breakdown of, synthesis of breakdown. Exactly, mate. Mm. Um, so how do we best fuel that? 
and, and how do we relate this back to Costa's question of timing the meals around it? Well, I guess uh, th- that organised chaos that, that's occurring in all these different rates, and yes. I mean, that sort of paints a picture that uh, you probably need it with some sort of frequency to... to and again, we're mm. talking about uh, maximising or, or optimal. We're not talking about adequate. Adequate's a little different, yep. so for, to answer Costa's question, if it was a purely a, uh, you know, maintaining muscle, getting enough nutrients in, then uh, the meal timing and frequency probably wouldn't be as significant. But yep. if you're really trying to maximize and, and, and add new muscle, then really you have to be conscious of that uh, that occurring over that 24-hour period. So mm. there is definitely a need for frequent meals. How frequent that meal is would uh, depend on a fundamentally how big the meal is yes because these fractional synthetic rates the way the body recovers is going to be dependent on amino acid availability yep. and so you need to have or optimally you'll have amino acids always available in the bloodstream so Correct. that to, to fuel this process yep. what you're referring to there is the bigger meal we have the more the greater abundance of amino acids that come in yep. and the more frequent if the meals are smaller then we need to have a higher frequency of them to keep it flowing yeah yeah that's that's pretty much it yeah the 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 period of digestion occurs over a much uh, longer period with a with a larger meal than than with a smaller meal so if we're in the business of like the paint uh, the picture you painted where we want to have ideally for optimal a steady uh, intake of amino acids then yeah, either bigger, less frequent meals or smaller, more frequent meals to, to maximize and, and optimize that, that side of things, 100%. Okay. Yeah. So for your guys and the way you set things up, Rawdon, how frequently are you trying to get these guys um, ticking over from meal to meal? Sure. I, um, it, it, again, lifestyle, you know, when they can actually have meals. So these, this is where I, I, I do allow a little bit of flexibility. And, and I know... Don't gasp and say flexibility with your with your clientele. You're oh, yeah. getting soft in your old age. But yes. once set up, then it doesn't change. Yeah. Okay, because consistency will be the... This is something for Costa to take in and for the listener to take in. Meal frequency, okay, optimizing things, tick. Um, size of the meal, tick. But on top of that, having the same routine day in, day out, that is what is going to drive uh, progression quite significantly and that's something that the a lot of our listeners probably don't pay enough attention to and yep. that, that consistency and that constant the body loves consistent homeostatic type uh, scenarios so if we can set up these consistent practice of eating every three to four hours doesn't matter if you go three hours for the first and four to the second and then four to the third and then three to the it doesn't really matter like three to four not a big game changer yep. but consistently day in day out that the one tip that i give our listener and what i do with my demographic and my clientele um, but once they give me the information, then, uh, you know, if it is a, a longer period of, uh, say, it's it's more like uh, four to five hours, where they're not, then I'll, I'll uh, program a bigger intake of energy so they can have this postprandial or this post-absorbative period for a much longer period, which should give them enough uh, amino acid uh, pool into the blood to, to fuel that uh, recovery. Obviously, carbohydrates to drive it with energy and all that type of stuff. So uh, it's not just amino acids that we need to drive the, the repair and recovery. We need energy to do that. So mm. there'll be an argument for carbohydrates or some fats in there as well. Uh, but yeah, if it was a smaller uh, smaller intake of meal, then ideally a little bit uh, closer. So around that three-hour mark, but anywhere from... Really, three to five hours. You, 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 you're, yeah. you know, anything less than three. You know, it's not really going to be uh, 
because you're going to be uh, still digesting that meal prior, and then you're dumping another meal in, then that overlaps, then you're going to dump another, that mm. postprandial um, period is, is, you know, you've already got... Uh, but something to take into consideration. So super frequent meals, uh, I don't think so. I don't think is a good idea. Mm. Uh, but too far apart, uh, again, not a good idea if you're trying to maximise hypertrophy. Exactly. So that sweet spot, I always stick with is about every three hours. Yeah, I'm, I'm about that as well. Like three hours. Mm. It gets a little tricky when you're starting to um, when you're going for a, a leaning phase that Costa referred to, because there's only a, a certain amount of food you can get in the day. And um, one part of the brain might say, oh, well, if I just have something every two hours, then uh, uh, that'll keep it ticking over all the time. Well, the, the problem with that is there's only a limited amount of food. And if the meals are too small, mm. you utilize so much of the energy available just digesting the, the food and the thermic effect that there's not a huge pool of amino acids that actually make it into the, the bloodstream to start fueling mm. the fractional and- synthetic rate as well. So I think that three-hour mark is yeah. pretty much covers bases for both bulking and leaning if you were to chuck a blanket want to put a blanket rule over it yep so we're happy with that now the big question there is Rodan, well hang on there's a there's at least eight hours at night where i'm sleeping mm. fortunately the body's quite smart and these fractional breakdown rates kind of ease off and slow mm. down a little bit but it is nice to have um something to fuel processes overnight yeah yeah look i yeah i generally do so i'll have uh and that's why the the, the casein type proteins um, you know, the slower digesting proteins are a good idea and often prescribed. I think uh, Dan uh, Garner's uh, quite partial to a casein at, at, um, yes. at, at night time. But, and I certainly will do that from, from, uh, with certain uh, clientele that are okay digesting the casein. But, you know, for our listeners, uh, cottage cheese would be a good option. That's a, that does have casein in it. It's a slow digesting protein source. So pre-bed some cottage cheese. Uh, with some fats in there and it will slow the absorption uh, further however you know you need to take into consideration total energy intake for the day it'd be Mm. no point dumping those extra calories in if you didn't cater for it in your overall uh, energy prescription having said that there is also um, you know a fundamentally the body over how many millions of years of evolution and uh, all that type of stuff it it, you know it ramps things down like you said at Mm. night time and you know we know that growth hormone increases uh, when we go to sleep and what's one of the growth hormones uh, main purpose well it 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 it, uh insulin stores energy Mm. uh growth hormone pulls energy from the cells so acid needs it it's going to take carbohydrates from the stored glycogen it's going to pull uh, fatty acids out so uh, during the night if if we haven't had an intake of energy which i would argue is a good idea to put some calories pre-bed because yes okay the the body will do its thing but i'm interested in maximizing not surviving the the yep. hour period so you can go both ways with that and I know uh, Mano Henselman's likes to program a, a larger uh, portion of the day's calories uh, around that bedtime you yes. know in, in, I think he refers to it as the him of the circadian rhythm but there's another school of thought where okay well there's certain hormones that are going to be elevated and the body has a, a great uh, ability to adapt to its environment and traditionally we wouldn't have a that's a period of rest so the metabolic rate actually would uh, the re- energy requirement for that given period is a lot much less than yes. when we're moving around with all the non-exercise activity etc cetera, etc cetera. you know the heart rate slows and the, the actual energy spent over that period is is more like when you're sedentary lying in a hospital bed mm. so there isn't um you know a huge there isn't as much of a need to to it's not like a typical eight hour period where we'd need a heap of calories so that synthetic rate would slow a little during that uh, that fasting period at night. So, 
Yes, not a bad idea putting energy in. Uh, some protein amino acids, definitely. Uh, but if you can't and you don't like food pre-bed and interrupt sleep, for example, some individuals, yep. uh, their sleep will go when they when they, they, you know, they eat too close to bedtime. Yep. Yeah, they just feel full. And um, so if, 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 they're, if it's that scenario, then is it going to be a huge game changer if we don't get energy in? I think if we're good for the rest of the period, uh, the other, you know, 16 hours of the day, then I think it'd be negligible difference if you didn't have a protein source trickling in while you yep. sleep so. okay so just a little recap thus far so costa uh, you're going to figure out how many calories roughly you want to be hitting for energy your bulking balance, or your leaning start with your energy balance and then figure out well i'm training you know four or five times a week so essentially you're constantly in a state of fractional synthetic NPS, rate versus yep. fractional breakdown rate correct you, you want to have net protein gain mm-hmm. so you want to be feeding the fractional synthetic rate with a constant supply of amino acids and energy yep. to, to grow and support lean tissue mm-hmm. so that's going to be meals every three four hours yep a little bit of food at night time would be good but it's not the end of the world if it's you not can't a huge game changer correct so one final question for you Rod, and what about this anabolic window i mean if there's one place to time <laughs> nutrients is it is it in this uh, theoretical anabolic window? Uh, well, the, I guess we'd start by saying that the the anabolic window actually uh, lasts uh, a bit longer than what, what um, many of us uh, think. But it doesn't, it doesn't. Mm. I mean, what I want to say there is <laughs> the body <laughs> hates nice. you, but it likes you. Yes. Okay. What I mean is, depending on the training age of the individual, how advanced the individual is. Of so course. I think we mentioned with the SRA curves, more advanced, it's going to be much shorter. So if we didn't, that's basically the scenario. So when we're more advanced, that window of opportunity is actually much uh, shorter. So it's not 48, 72 hours of this elevated muscle protein synthesis for a given body part. For smaller body parts, it's going to be much smaller. Mm. So, you know, you might say, well, you know, as long as I get food in within the next sort of 10 or 12 hours, you know, my my muscle uh, fractional synthetic rate is going to be elevated. So it's all good. Yeah, look, for a beginner, that's perfectly fine. Beginners, they don't really need a way shake after they train. You know, go have a, a meal within an hour or two of training and they're going to be fine. They're going to fuel that uh, fractional synthetic rate just fine and mm. then they eat you know, every, so, every three or four hours and that's going to be sweet for a great. beginner. Yep. But for those of us that are advanced, we fall into that uh, demographic that will actually benefit from that getting the nutrients in ASAP uh, because that window is much shorter and there is still optimal and all these guys that uh, in the industry that will tell you that it's um, in one breath I would say yeah it lasts much longer there's not a fundamentally big difference Um, and it might not be a huge difference but if you are interested in maximizing uh, and capitalizing on that elevated uh, muscle protein synthesis then I would argue that there would be a a need to get a a fast absorbing protein like whey or certainly a um, you know, a meal in pretty mm. soon after training to really jump on that that recovery process because like we just pointed out it's occurring uh, after we train it's, it's just going to be ticking over That's so right. it would, it would, why not take advantage of it exactly and from a purely practical standpoint not being scientific about this at all if you're trying to hit a surplus of calories you've got to find yeah. places to get the food in you exactly. may as well eat when you want it which is right after a workout yeah. and even when you are in a leaning phase that one time when you mentally really feel like you need some food is after you've trained so, yeah, but depending uh, on how you train, if you have a lot of lactic acid <laughs> metabolic training, you probably won't feel too hungry. Nauseous, yeah. But I also also point out that um, we we do have, uh, you know, I think we've uh, Lukey, Groundskeeper Willie talk about the GLUT4 and uh, the receptors going to the once we train. So there is a an enhanced 
uh, nutrient partitioning yep. to uh, to fuel growth and repair into skeletal muscles from the carbohydrate perspective. So, you know, if there was an optimal time and, and we're looking at more calories uh, driving growth and repair and less calories or less energy being stored in adipose tissue, then that, that post-training window of uh, heightened uh, skeletal sensitivity mm. and that insulin sensitivity up then uh, it would be a good uh, idea to get uh, uh, quite a and general rule of thumb for Costa and our listeners. Where do you put most of your calories? Pre and post training. Where do I put most of my calories? Pre and post training. So a lot of the energy that you're going to prescribe for the individual, if you're in the business of maximizing uh, hypertrophy, then it will be around that training mm-hmm. window. Yep. Mates, this is quite a strange feeling. I, I actually feel like we might have answered Costa's question. Well, we could uh, erase it and do it all again and uh, polywolf far more if our listeners would appreciate that. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I think we covered it pretty well. Well, there you go, Costa. If anyone else would like to get us to, uh, you know, stay on track with content, then send us through a speak pipe. Yep. Go to underthebarpodcast.com, click on the link. Um, lay some pipe. Lay some pipe. <laughs> and uh, email it through to us. We'll play it on through the show to us. and we'll do our best and, and answer it. Thank you. Okay, Rawdon, have you received your Elemental Body Transformation Clinic certification Cert- from the Elemental Institute? From the Elemental Institute <laughs> with Crystal Maurice. Uh I think they got my address. Uh, have you got yours already? I got mine. Oh, it's, it's actually at, uh, it's at the gym. It's at Icon. Uh, at Icon. Yeah, it's at Icon. I'll, right. uh, next time you drop by, yes. I'll have someone uh, send it down to you. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'll put a, uh, a pick up on social media that bad boy. Oh, yeah, of course. Mm. Beautiful. Milk it. Now, mate, there was so much that he went through, you know, yes. you know so much detail on physiology and biology all the mm. systems of the body chemistry and, you, you know like biochem 101 and, and not just explaining them in broad terms but actually getting down to the nitty-gritty you know like if yeah. he's talking about say let, let's say you know talking about a client's digestion and you have to have that awkward conversation about the stool mm. habits and what's mm. going on you know no doubt mention anus in the conversation at some <laughs> some some stage <laughs> maybe not maybe not um but you know i like, always mention the anus you know if the the stool is a particular way well, well what's actually causing it to yes. be that way you know and so he really dug deep into he, all those he sorts dug, of things he did dug deep um something that was fascinating with digestion that, that uh, i think everyone in the seminar took something away from was mm. what's called the cephalic phase yes. of digestion and what um phallic. and that a process starts in the brain what if you're actually you're crazy mofo <laughs> please explain preparing your food mm-hmm. uh, with your hands and taking some time to actually put that meal together mm-hmm and the anticipation, the mental anticipation of the eating of the meal mm. will actually start the process of digestion. The saliva starts being produced. The juices start uh, flowing. Tom. Yeah, the body starts preparing itself mm. to actually digest the meal mm. and introducing some sort of mindfulness strategy around eating as opposed to just scoffing down your meals on the run, standing up. Literally one second you've gone from doing a session or doing something or working mm. into eating. Mm. The body's had no chance to actually... Uh, go through a, a natural process of preparing mm. itself to start digesting food. There's not as much uh, saliva, there's not as mm. much amylase mm. in that saliva to help start breaking yes. down carbohydrates. And mm. the whole, just the very simple fact of being a little bit more mindful around your eating mm. can improve digestion above and beyond having to introduce supplementation or digestive enzymes or well, the, any of these other things. You know, it can solve I, a lot of problems just doing that. I think that was the uh, the, the interesting point that. Although it seems really insignificant 
he was actually and 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 you know Christian's stance would have, like if I tell you this works it works I'm not yeah. telling you these things that it might work this is what he's actually uh, in his you know what I think he's got 20 20 plus years experience or something ridiculous but um, he you know suggested that simply by doing that you can significantly enhance uh, digestive function to mm. the point where you know may- maybe it's not uh, issues with with FODMAPs or nightshades or you know they maybe they don't need digestive enzymes maybe they just uh, the individual just needs to actually uh, prepare their a little time preparing their food you know I mean maybe even try and go catch it you know <laughs> and, and, and and with their bare hands and and strangle its neck or break its neck and then take it into the, uh, well, the cabin the, and it'll uh, get the juices flowing it would get the juices the MLAs would be spraying everywhere at that point in time but but really interesting really really simple I guess with that it would be you know using some flavorings and, and, and things to make the, the process far more enjoyable and, and I sort of had a, had to think about um, you know my demographic where I consciously make a, a consistent push to try and make any emotional connection to food whatsoever to be void of, yes. of just while they're, they're working simply because uh, from a compliance perspective and a, and a um, you know dealing with cravings far easier perspective uh, you know, that's why I tend to adopt that policy with my with my uh, athletes preparing mm. for stage. Simply because I know personally, you know, whenever my very 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 aggressive cuts go wayward, and then my very 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 aggressive uh, refeeds and abusing the body with 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 cheat meals and whatnot, um, that's when it all, all spirals out of control for mm. me. And um, and when I don't have that emotional connection, and it is just a process, a process. of cook, you know, fuel fuel for the machine, and yep. and and the guy. Uh, Broderick Chavez, who I'm, I'm mentoring with at the moment, he sees it that way as well. He works with uh, competitors, and it's simply he's prescribing. It's it's just like a supplement, and um, he prescribes protein to have a desired effect. He prescribes fat to have a, a elicited effect on the body, and he prescribes carbohydrates to have a, a, an effect on the body. So it's mm. just a prescription of energy, and the, and that sort of does line up with, with, with what I uh, attempt to do with, with with my clientele as well. Having said that, there might be that nice. Uh, in between where um, yeah, where maybe they do actually just prepare the and I certainly would encourage them to prepare their meals so maybe that in itself uh, but it's also for our listeners like oh, okay so what I've got to cook a meal every meal it's not so much that it's more um, yes great if you can but it, but it's you know uh, sitting down yeah, looking take, at the meal take it out of the box spend so a bit of time just to be present absorb yep. the moment have a few nice nice thoughts get the meal out actually chew it take some time to chew each mouthful a little bit more and create yep. more surface area of the food you're breaking down to when it hits the gut that absorb yep. more of the nutrients that are yep. available and just being more deliberate about the process. Yeah, actually uh, take the time to set up a process where you are taking time out to consume the meal. And I do certainly encourage that with my clientele mm. where they know you don't eat on the run, it's 15 minutes, you you allocate that you push the client forward or back whatever you need to do but you do need those times to sit down and eat the meal but um but you're definitely something i will enforce with a, a little more uh, vigor you know the fact that they do actually have to switch off uh you know rest and digest go from sympathetic bang 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 okay now boom might be get the cutlery out put it to the side hopefully they're heating it up if they're heating in the glass container but take the top off like you said yeah. inhale you know uh, if it's on the train open your, your kangaroo and broccoli up <laughs> let everyone inhale it with you enjoy the process and then eat it uh, because you know coach said so but yeah and and it would be interesting 
because a lot of clientele will tell me that, uh, well not a lot, but there have been a few that are quite in tune with their high tie Phillips. Uh, you know, to the point where, yeah, digestion was a little bit off, tummy was a bit gurgly, but I did rush a few meals there, and, mm. and they can even they they even know when they've, you know, and, and you know when you shovel something down, it just doesn't sit right. It's, it's yeah. you can feel it's not even you know digesting. It's just sitting in a lump. So, you know, if we sort of even uh, get a little more in tune with what we actually feel after we eat a meal, as opposed to sitting down maybe in 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 conversation, and we actually sit down and eat a meal, you find that hey, you're fine after that, and you never have any uh, GI distress or discomfort, and you. Yeah. Yeah. function quite well afterwards it's those rushed ones that just feel like and you try to drink some more water wash it down man it's just sitting there mm. it makes sense so um definitely something that that, that i'll do personally but i uh, also encourage my clients so within reason i don't want to get them too enthused yeah. about food you know? <laughs> yeah that's I draw right. a line in the sand on that one it still has to be emotionless emotionless yeah um, mate, it was really interesting because a number of times in the podcast in the past, you've uh, when we've talked to Shousey and a few of these other guys about yep. various toxins, you'll Ooh. often say, uh, whenever I smell perfume yeah. or uh, those air fresh Cigarette smoke gets you straight away. You get an immediate headache. And we actually now understand the uh, science behind that. Yes, the es- physiology. Essentially, Rawdon, you've got a very, very fast and efficient yes. phase one mm. of liver detoxification. Yes. The chemicals that you're inhaling obviously get through your phase one very quickly yep. and take a little bit longer for phase two to actually process and well, it results well, in immediate headache it does which is interesting but let's uh let's see if we can uh for our listener let's see if we can dumb it down so they can actually get uh detox so okay. here's a scenario we'll, we'll go back and forth you might be a little better at uh you know step by step but so okay the environment full of toxins foods we eat toxins it's just what the body do you live the hardest working organ in the body yep. that's going to process everything for us in regards to toxic load so we inhale you know cigarette smoke car fumes whatever it is we, yep. we, we car fumes, car fumes. Yeah, cam got a big nod over there for car fumes hates the old car fumes and you breathe it in very breathe it in so so through the lining of the bloodstream we've done that now it's uh three different phases in the liver so yep. it'll go through these phases then it'll exit the body so hopefully exit the body somehow yeah so into the first phase which is phase one and what happens there so there the toxic compound will be combined with a vitamin a cofactor of some description a cofactor yep to convert it into a water soluble okay so example b vitamins zinc yep those types of things so vitamins in that one yep okay so it will go from phase one fat soluble into phase two where it will be connected with an amino acid yep and then converted into a water-soluble compound that can be excreted via phase three, yep. which would be urine, poop, <laughs> lungs, lungs it out. sweat. Yep. yep. Okay, so it goes through a couple of phases. And I think phase one, it can... Uh, so phase one for me, I, I inhale perfume. Yep. It goes into phase one, and, and that's super fast. Too fast for phase two, and then it goes back in back circulation, into the and then, yep. I, then it sort of makes me feel pretty average, and yep. then eventually it gets metabolized and excreted I think over time so it goes through that, that, that phase one phase two but yeah different things involved in phase one phase two but that's roughly the process and then it will yeah e- e- exit the body in a variety of ways and some will have a really fast uh, phase one and that's like a uh, uh, Christian Maurice actually mentioned yeah, yeah me too like I get really sick and it was through, much to the demise of my ex <sighs> the, 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 <laughs> um, so like she would put perfume on could be a he but that was a she 
So she would put perfume on, and I'd be like, ah, you know, what are you wearing that? And go, you smell, makes me smell, you know, nice. You should like it. And it's like, well, I don't really have a choice in it. it, it like in the car when we're driving somewhere, yeah. you know, I'm immersed in it, and it, and it does legit. I, I feel instantly nauseous and and a headache. So, um, yeah, really, really bizarre. But now we know that it's. Uh, I knew it was some sort of detox thing, but it's interesting that it was uh, a super fast phase one. And Something that, would, that I'm fast at. Yes. <laughs> so Quite surprising. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was just one of the little gems that you could take hmm. away from what he went into the detail about detoxification. Yeah. And Obviously, it's far more complex than that, but that's every, sort of a, yeah. a dumbed-down version of it. And every pathway involved. Um, another fascinating thing we took away, Rawdon, was the macromodulation. Yes. Um, we, 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 won't really give away, we won't give away Christian's secrets. But no, he wouldn't like that. No. he likes to keep it reserved <laughs> for, the, for the seminar. Yeah. But the overall principle, I think, is fair enough for us to discuss. And he sees in these scenarios where uh, an individual has plateaued mm. and their body weight's really not shifting. And that's going to be everyone. If, if, yeah. if anyone's chasing body composition, it's a rarity. And it's uh, evolution. You know, the body is going to adapt to a negative energy balance. Otherwise, yep. it would die. So yeah. you are going to face that plateau. When the body stops and it's not shifting, he has these methods and he sees it somewhat like training periodization where you're trying to apply different stimulus to cause growth or mm-hmm. whatever it is, the way he, he, you know, the overview of these nutritional strategies. But basically the macro modulation is he will come up, he's got a few different methods. One of them is maybe the 3-2 method Ooh. where you have three days of a high calorie and a high macro and then two days of very low calories. And I won't give all the, the numbers because it is Christian's, bolts, yep. Christian's juice, but IP. Essentially, what you're trying to do is just shock the body either way. Okay. Really give it a nice big feed. Let's see some scale weight go up. And then you're trying to create quite a large gap in calories between those high days and the low days to shock the body down the other way. Okay. And you might get away with, say, a five-day cycle where he's three twos a five-day cycle. You might get away with two, maybe three cycles where this will work. And then you'll have to go back to some sort of baseline just to let the body resettle again. Yep. It's, it's, it's not an infinite... Process. Diet, diet break will yeah, refer to that. It's almost like this is a, a little um, shock week of programming just to get the body out of the homeostasis. And he's tested, like he's done, he said, you know what, I don't actually know why these five-day cycles work. I wish it could be a seven-day cycle because then you could pack it in on Monday to Friday. Hmm. I've tried it tens, twenties, thirties of times. It doesn't work as well as the five-day cycle here and here. And it went through all these different so it's methods. 3-2, interesting. 3-2 was one of them where he said for whatever reason this process I know it works Mm. so here you go here are the details and you know go away and apply it and and, um, and that's I guess uh, for our listeners and uh, they would also know that you and I obviously evidence based we love getting these guys on to, to and we sort of vaguely track everything that's happening in the industry and, and any new research that comes out but there, there are times when we'll often refer to uh, what we've done in the trenches and, and what we've seen work for, for Christian with these to the point where he can actually create a seminar where you know several elements of the seminar it's like hey I don't actually know why this works you yeah. know I, I'm a really really smart guy and I understand physiology but I can't really uh, give you a definitive answer as to why this works but hey it does work, it does work and, yeah. and I think some of the more reputable guys in the industry are those guys like John Meadows who eh I can't prove it just yet but I've done it with you know the last 300 clients that I've had and it all works really well so for me that's a pretty good pretty good way of looking at things and, yeah. and I really like that from Christian Maurice it wasn't like well I'm not going to tell you about this 3-2 method because there's no research to back it up 
it's just coincidence and I can't teach coincidence. Well, he can and this does actually work and I'm sure you will do it and actually find out that it works quite well. And I think, uh, it, it, so that was more just a higher calories, not necessarily a higher carbohydrate. It's just yeah, you would pick a higher macronutrient for that. And the example we gave was carbohydrates. Yep. So, so carbs still might be the, because our listeners would probably be aware that the carbs are the, the usually the, the, the go-to uh, macronutrient when we are shifting out of these uh, these metabolic down regulations, these, these uh, adaptations to a negative energy balance. But did you also have a, a, a fat? Yes. He, 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 fat and protein that he liked to manipulate as well from yeah, memory? Yeah, he did go into some methods where he would manipulate fats and protein and go very high fat and very low protein okay. and very high protein and then low protein. Like he's tried, like I said, he's done so many different experiments with yeah. these different cycles and different macronutrients and for okay. certain individuals it will work either way. But you would probably start with carbohydrates. Old give faithful. It, old faithful, give that a crack and see and how And look, you go. to be honest, it's probably the most enjoyable. Well, my fats can be enjoyable. Yeah. But, you know, if you give them, yeah, as much olive oil as you like, it's like, oh... <laughs> Okay, fascinating. All right, yep. there's a bit of uh, some juicy stuff hot off the press from the Christian Maurice Elemental Certification Seminar. Yes. And he's coming back, I think, next year. Yeah, he'll year. be back again next year. He's already booked in. He's, he'll do um, five days next Ooh. year. So he'll do level one again for three days, and then he'll do a level two for two days off the back of that. Awesome. So uh, certainly looking forward to that one. Under the Bar podcast. Mm. There's been a little bit of polywaffle over the last few weeks um, yes. surrounding mTOR, mm. uh, muscle signaling. Obviously, mm. it all started mm. with Israel. We'll blame him. Yes. And then, you know, we had Well, the that process of hypertrophy is very confusing. Yeah. But we know mTOR's in there somewhere. And we had uh, that little client case study of mine where he lost a bit of muscle because yep. he started boxing, boxing after his, yep. his workouts. Yep. Unsolicited. Mm. Disrupted his, his signaling. Yes. But confusion. A, confusion. But, Rodden, there's a very interesting study that's come out. Uh, mm. Regulation of mTOR by growth factors, energy status, amino acids, and mechanical stimuli. That just rolled off the tongue, Tommy. Uh, you and I are actually uh, experts at reviewing studies. So yes. what I'll do, we'll go through the abstract first. Yeah. So the uh, mechanistic slash mammalian uh-huh. target of uh, rapamycin complex oh, yes. 1 oh, plays oh. a pivotal role in the regulation of mm. skeletal muscle protein synthesis. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes Activation so so of the complex leads to phosphorylation of two important sets of substrates mm. namely E1 F4E binding now, let me just pull you up there Tommy ribosomal S6 yeah. kinase yeah let's just uh, no. let's just tap out there yeah let's just take that lab coat off <laughs> slide that sleeve out now, is, is there anyone in the room that could possibly uh, you know make sense of all that gobbledygook yeah fortunately Groundskeeper Willie. Ah, yes, he's Lucid, back. Lucid Luke is back in the studio. Lucid to, Luke. To uh, demystify mTOR mm. for us. Welcome to yeah. the studio, mate. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, uh, jokes aside, everyone uh, who trains will generally comprehend that uh, part of that process of hypertrophy, there's some sort of disruption of homeostasis and that little mTOR pathway is initiated. Mm, mm. So we know that that's an integral, but w- what actually is it? What does it? The, the carbohydrates, leucine, stimulates mTOR. That's why you need a certain amount of protein with each meal, etc., etc. So, yeah, it fascinates me and, and, you know, much like the process of hypertrophy that, uh, you know, I think f- far more complex than uh, what uh, those that we've asked uh, have explained it, but they've layman's terms it to, to some degree so we could sort of grasp it and mm. then forget it the following week yes so hopefully uh luke 
today will uh, demystify the mTOR pathway. Yep. And I think th- th- this study, um, basically, Luki sent me it on uh, Facebook and, and, and said, hey, check this out. Really good uh, overview and uh, uh, in, in one paper. So A to Z of, of mTOR summarized yep. uh, in nice uh, roundabout ways. That's what uh, prompted us to get him in yes. and uh, maybe uh, give ourselves uh, a bit of a, a debrief of, of what the study, mm. what was special about this study, but also, um, yeah, our listeners, uh, I'm sure, will find it fascinating too. So the challenge for you, Luke, is to uh, go through this study in a way that Rawdon and I can understand, because mm. then yep. if we do, then our listeners can. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Because <laughs> we're, uh, as much as we do confess to being doctors in the past, Tom, mm. we're, we're, we're not, we're... You know, we've been, uh, what is it, deregistered when you... Lost your license. Lost our license to practice medicine. Malpractice. Yeah, malpractice. Lots of that. Righto, Luke. Let's start with just a brief overview of mTOR and what we're actually looking at here with Mm. this study. Okay, cool. Well, this is a nice review that was published in the International Society of Sports Nutrition's journal. And it's basically a nice overview of all of these factors that go into... Uh, stuff that regulates mTOR and mTOR is basically involved in protein synthesis is probably the biggest thing that concerns us as trainees. Okay. So that's the big thing. It's involved in other stuff too. So there's a lot of stuff going on and there's two different complexes that are involved in different stuff but the one that you mentioned mTOR C1, mTOR complex 1 is the one that's involved with muscle protein synthesis and that's what we're primarily concerned with. Okay. I will uh, just make some notes there Tom there was stuff I know what stuff is so yeah, 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 I, I, cool. we're all on the same page now well, yep. I will also say that um, mTOR is, is not just uh, in humans or, or mm. animals but it's actually interestingly because I, I did watch a, a podcast to, uh, uh, you know, to prime me for this, uh, this segment mm. but uh, <laughs> I started watching it and they had some diagrams that I understood. Then, yeah. it, then it went into all this, all the yeah. different parts, and it was the just stuff. lost me. Yeah, the stuff. Yeah, the stuff lost me. But yeah. it was interesting, Tommy. <laughs> it's actually in uh, in plants, in uh, like rice have mTOR pathways, and it's, it's anything that grows. Essentially, there's yeah. mTORs involved, which I found quite fascinating. It's right. not just uh, for us in the muscle when we train. It's it's. Uh, all through nature, all through life. Yeah, yeah. plants, everything. Yeah, okay. I think they first discovered it in mice, actually. Like, mm. it's called mammalian target of rapamycin, and rapamycin is actually a drug oh. that they were researching. And I think they found, like, they injected it in these mice to see what was going on, and they found that they uh, they lost muscle. Oh. Um, and I think that's how it was originally discovered, and like its role in muscle protein synthesis, okay. if I remember correctly. Back in the day. Yeah. So that's why it's called mTOR. Okay. okay. So you mentioned uh, for the mTOR complex one that we're looking at today, this is mm. the, the muscle protein synthesis. Yep. It's regulated by these various factors which this study goes through. Yep. So an overview of the factors are growth factors, energy status, amino acids, yep. mechanical stimuli, and stimuli. supplementation. So are we going to kind of work our way through these? Yeah, where do you want to go? I think let's let's do that. That'll that'll be good. Now, like if you go through this review, there is a lot of mes- mechanistic uh, chit chat. A lot stuff. of yeah. There's oh man, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of stuff. But it is dry. It's very dry. It's one of those things where unless you're kind of directly involved in researching it, it's probably not going to be super exciting. But we're going to pick out the bits that are relevant that yep. we can translate into. Beautiful. Layman stuff okay. and usable stuff. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about growth factors. So if you were to think of growth factors, some of the things that might spring to mind 
uh, things like insulin and maybe even IGF, insulin-like growth factor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the name has a clue. Those are probably the two things that are studied the most in relation to mTOR. And that's kind of detailed quite a bit in this review. So essentially what happens is when you get activation of the receptors that are involved with insulin and IGF-1, you get this biochemical uh, reaction that's going to happen that allows phosphorylation of insulin receptor substrate proteins. So phosphorylation basically just kind of means it's activated. If you ever read phosphorylation, just think activation. And basically what that does after those insulin receptor proteins are activated, it exposes binding sites on these proteins which enable other downstream things to, to happen that involve protein synthesis. So when we're talking about like the mTOR complex, what we're really talking about is this massive group of proteins and enzymes and blah, 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 that uh, all sort of interact with each other to allow certain processes to take place, mostly muscle protein th- synthesis. Okay. okay. So insulin essentially allows that stuff to go ahead and IGF-1 in accordance with that, insulin-like growth factor, behaves like insulin in this case. It allows some of those processes to go ahead. So the muscle cell has an insulin receptor yep. on it. Yep. And then in the presence of insulin, it activates all those little downstream mechanisms that you're talking about yeah, there. Yeah, 100%. So this is where we get a bit of a clue of some stuff that we might be able to do to activate mTOR, stuff involving raising insulin or IGF-1. Okay. And uh, to chime in there on what Tommy was saying, so the same for IGF-1 receptors on the muscle cell yep. and with IGF-1 present. So is insulin influencing IGF-1 or are the two independent? We've got insulin targeting the cell. We've also got IGF-1. Yeah, they can be independent, but they're very closely related. Um, and like the actual, actual action of IGF-1 is very similar. The receptors themselves are very similar. So they're a type of receptor called a tyrosine kinase. Um, so the actual type of receptor that they are is like really similar as well. So okay. they're technically different, but they behave very, very similarly. And uh, IGF-1 conversion of growth hormone that our listeners would be aware of in mm. the liver to IGF-1? Is that yeah. Is that what's happening? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's basically raising those serum levels uh, and that's going to interact with the receptors uh, involved with mTOR. Okay. Yep. So far, so good. Okay. So far. you got another question? We're Keep good. going. Okay, cool. So, so we're still on the growth factors here? We're still on the yep. growth factors. Okay. So if we keep going through, it basically details a bunch of different types of molecules that are involved here. We've got phosphatidylinositols, phosphonositide domain-containing proteins. It's a bunch of jargon, essentially. So we don't really need to know this We stuff. don't need to know this stuff. Okay. okay. Coming down, we can have a look at AKT. So AKT is a really important regulator of mTOR complex one. Okay. Uh, AKT has this interesting interaction with myostatin. So you've probably uh, heard of myostatin before. Yep. Um, you would have seen pictures of those myostatin deficient cows going yeah. around and they're just and the like dogs. jacked beyond belief. Yeah, the yeah, dogs as well, as well, yeah. And it's like scary how jacked they are. And they've done studies where they knock out myostatin in mice and they just get hugely jacked and uh, like to the point where it kills them eventually because yeah. they're just so big. So myostatin is a basically a regulator of muscle protein synthesis and it's there to sort of dampen muscle protein synthesis so it doesn't get out of control essentially. So yeah. it's one of those 
inbuilt controls to kind of bring everything back to the midline so we're not sort of overproducing muscle protein that we may not actually need to survive. Right? Yep. yep. So and just just yep. chime in there, is myostatin just related to muscle hypertrophy or growth throughout the whole body? Growth throughout the whole body in a way because it's like a it's a type of growth factor fam it belongs to a growth factor family. Okay. Um, but uh, the myostatin in particular that we're talking about is like related to muscle. Okay. Yeah, related to muscle. So essentially, when we have high myostatin, it reduces AKT phosphorylation, AKT activation. And I mentioned just before, remember, yep. AKT is a really important regulator of mTOR complex 1. So okay. if myostatin is a little bit out of control, what's going to happen is we're going to have down regulation of mTOR phosphorylation and then we're going to have reduced muscle protein synthesis. Okay. So it's important that we make sure that we've got the counteractive sort of uh, hormones in there. So when we're talking about growth factors, insulin and IGF-1 are obviously promoters of mTOR complex 1 yep. function and then we have uh, myostatin that's going to down regulate it through other pathways as well. So it's important to get that balance there. And if you think about it, a lot of what we're trying to do, we're looking at net protein th synthesis, yep. right? We're not looking at just the absolute amount of muscle you can build. We're looking at the overall that's left after you've had anabolic processes and catabolic, catabolic processes, yep. yeah? Which are going along all, all day long. Yeah, it's always yep. it's always happening, absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah. Are there any things that we can do practically that control myostatin production? Uh, uh, you wish. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's peptides. Yeah. Uh, remember, I think Salim spoke about those. Yeah. But uh, beyond that, I'd, I, I'm not aware of anything. Yeah, I don't think so. And that, I mean, when we're talking about gene doping, I think that's probably one of the targets. Yeah. Um, it, but it might, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that one in do, terms of nutritional stuff. Yeah. Do some individuals have a, a more active myostatin? Yeah. So they have higher levels, so they're just, they're pretty much screwed? before they yeah. even get into the gym? I mean, I think among other things, but that's probably a genetic factor as well. Yeah. You know, like some people are just going to have lower levels of it, lower expression of that myostatin gene, and then so they, grow they get... Yeah, exactly. And there have been human cases of that. Yeah. Flex Wheeler. Flex Wheeler. Yeah, there you right. go. There okay. you go. So, yeah, it's definitely a factor, and you can see the effect it has, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, it all works through mTOR. Fascinating. Okay. okay, so we talked about AKT being a really important promoter of mTOR complex. mTOR complex 1. Yep. Okay. Still with me, that's good. So aside from insulin and IGF-1, there's some evidence that indicates that androgens are also really responsible, yeah, for, my attention now. <laughs> yeah, for that <laughs> phosphorylation of AKT. Okay. So they work through that same Make sort of notes, Tom. Androgens. Androgens. <laughs> yeah. Under, underline get, it. Yeah. <laughs> See if I can get my hands on some. Exogenous. Experiment. <laughs> yes. yes. Purely in the name of science. Basically, there is the PI3K, which is that phosphatidylinositol kinase pathway that I spoke about before, some of yep. the stuff. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it interacts with AKT, and that interacts with mTOR. And it seems that that can get really rapidly activated when we have a high level of circulating androgens. Okay. okay. So, okay. I mean, what we're alluding to there is obviously individuals that have high androgens compared to others, but exogenous supplementation, that's one of the mechanisms by yeah. which... Huge. You know, the, the guys uh, supplementing androgens, doping, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Um, that's one of the mechanisms by why they get jacked. So they've got these elevated levels of, of androgens, yep. which act on this AKT, yep. which is a massive promoter of the mTOR pathway. Yeah, so all over it. Yep. So, so they're getting more mTOR activation 
by having more androgens yes. in the system. 100%. Well, yeah. clearly we should all have more androgens. Yeah. <laughs> it seems that way, doesn't it? Make a note there, Tom. More androgens more for androgens. everyone. Yeah. Yes. Um, so oh, this is good. Yeah, okay. So that's the main interactions in terms of growth factors. Growth factors. So, yep. you know, practically speaking, is there a lot you can do there? I think a lot of it comes down to genetic stuff, really, in yeah. this case. But I think it's important to understand that this is all going through, although there's a lot of steps, it's all going through this mTOR pathway. So, like, we're still trying to get an understanding of how we can make mTOR the best it can be in our, in yes. our conditions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if we look at these, maybe one thing the average person can do, if we know, if we go back to the start and we see this insulin and IGF receptors act on insulin, does that mean that elevated insulin levels are going to activate mTOR more? Yeah. So, uh, would that be the around the workouts, more carbohydrates, blah, blah, blah? Yeah, I mean, you definitely want some elevation of insulin. And again, we can talk a bit about insulin sensitivity. I mean, it's going to be harder for those people who are highly insulin resistant to yep. get that mediated pathway through the insulin receptor another, for another bump if yeah. you're uh, obese or uh, yeah. have high body fat yeah it's definitely going to be harder to build muscle right even though they you know they're not really going to be exposed to that sort of training stimulus so just the novel stimulus of it they're still going to get some kind yes. of yes mm. um, and just any food will increase insulin production you absolutely. just the amino acids on their own or yeah whatever totally else. Yeah. yeah so i mean interestingly like the actual elevation of insulin you need to maximally stimulate protein synthesis if we look at the literature like actual measurements of protein synthesis and not just like the mechanistic yeah. stuff it's not that much really yeah. so you could do with like a little bit of carbohydrate and a little bit of protein and that'll do just fine. You don't need to be slamming like a lot of carbs post-workout in a shake or anything like that, yeah. to give you an example. For, to initiate mTOR for glycogen replenishment, et cetera, et cetera, different. Yeah, okay. different. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah, but you know, to let's if we talk just purely about activating mTOR and yep. maximizing protein synthesis, yes, you want to elevate insulin. How should you do that? I would say get a decent amount of protein and a little bit of carbs along with that. I think for most people, probably only need maybe like 20 or 30 grams of carbs on top of like 30 or 40 grams of protein you know what i mean like that's gonna be plenty plenty for mTOR signaling so wrapping up the growth factors someone who's leaner more insulin sensitive has nice levels of androgens and has a little bit of protein and carbs around (laughs) around their training (laughs) it would be an individual who has good mTOR yeah, uh, pathways. That's Activation. Exactly. No. Okay. Complex. Complex. Mm. Right. One. <laughs> Complex, Complex one. one. Yeah, All right. Okay. Right, good. Very good. So we're happy. We're on to, the same page. Happy to square away growth yes. factors. Growth factors. Right. Next. Growth factors. We're good. All right. Next. Okay. Energy, Energy status. status. Okay. So here is where I get to take a dump on the calories don't matter crowd. Let's <laughs> 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 just back up that dump <laughs> truck. Okay. Bombs away. All right. <laughs> well, this is uh, before you go forward there and, and uh, go into detail. This is essentially one of the things that Israel talks about. You know, being in a positive energy balance will just switch on all that anabolic uh, machinery yes which you're going to probably provide a little more detail yeah no absolutely man so if we look at this from a biochemical standpoint you're going to see straight away that if you were to say oh yeah you can still grow muscle in a deficit you're just flat out wrong mechanistically it, can't, it doesn't work it just doesn't work <laughs> so we got the energy status of a cell there's basically a, a kinase which is an enzyme that senses the energy status of the cell. So the one we're looking at is called AMP kinase, okay? Yeah, I have heard of this one. Yeah. And basically what it does is it 
It's like an energy sensor when there's not a lot of energy availability. It reports back to the cell and will say, look, there's not a lot of energy around. We don't really have the resources here to build more tissue. So okay. we're going to ramp down a bit of mTOR activity just so we don't build more tissue that we can't really sustain. Yep. If, however, you have a lot of energy availability, that AMP kinase is going to be down-regulated and it's going to basically then let mTOR do its thing. It's going to run away and produce heaps more protein for us. Um, because we've got the energy there to support the yep. actual making of that protein. Yep. And we've also got the energy there to maintain that protein. Yes, 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 yes. Because, you know, that's what I talk about to clients. They go, okay, you want to build muscle. Okay, well, you need to put, obviously, the, the energy in there, the raw materials to build that muscle. Then you need to provide the energy to actually, the, the machinery to actually build the muscle. So yep. it's not only the building blocks, you also need the energy. So if you think about it, you do need quite a surplus of energy to do all mm. that. Mm. Yeah. And... It would appear that not just a surplus of energy on the day that you train, but yeah, exactly. 24 hours a day in and general. For it, just in general, for it to know that everything's okay and it will and be down-regulated, this AMP kinase. And yep. then to a degree, you want to maintain it. Well, you've got to maintain those higher energy levels yes. since you mm. default back to the lower energy. Obviously, you know, obviously there's more to it with the continued training, providing stimulus and all that type of stuff, but it would make it uh, much harder to maintain that muscle and mm. hence why, you know, you, you probably lose some muscle when you're uh, coming yes. into a show you know yep. it's just a it's just an energy balance it's an energy balance thing yeah 100 yeah. so so basically i get to take a shit on the keto crowd here as well yep neep, neep, neep. <laughs> i'll join you with this one mate that we get okay yeah so <laughs> the that's main thing that's gonna so you got a few different subunits of ampk the alpha subunit the beta subunit and the gamma subunit the beta subunit interacts mostly with glycogen availability in the cell. Glycogen being stored carbohydrate. So, if you don't have adequate glycogen levels within the cell, AMP kinase activity increases and hence it inhibits mTOR complex 1 activity and yep. your protein synthesis goes down. Okay. So, we're not just talking about an energy availability only. We're also talking yeah, about yeah, having yeah. adequate glycogen levels within the muscle. Interesting. That, okay. that, that's a... Uh I mean, obviously, you want the, the carbohydrates to fuel the immediate training session, but then yes. there's also an argument to ensure that there are carbohydrates and nutrition elsewhere to keep those glycogen stores um, topped up, to keep mm. that signaling. Mm. It's yep. not just about total available energy. It's about the, also a certain substrate of energy yeah. available as well. Fascinating. Very interesting. Yeah, mm. okay. absolutely. So <laughs> a decrease in glycogen basically relieves inhibition of AMPK activity. So you're going to get this uh, inhibition of mTOR. Okay. So that's basically how AMPK works. And that's energy availability in a nutshell. There's a lot of interaction between the subunits and, and that sort of stuff, but it really comes down to getting enough energy in there and making yeah. sure the carbohydrates are there too. Yep. Uh, I mean, we're trying to layman's terms it, so we understand it's far more complex, but we're yeah. trying to put it and into terms. Do you know what? I'll come back to this a little bit because people are probably going to be asking, like, okay, so is it inevitable that, like, if I'm in, if I'm going to cut, I'm just going to lose muscle? But bear in mind, there are other factors that activate mTOR. So yes. we're going to get to that, and we're going to tie it all back in. Okay. Yeah. And I guess you're talking about, uh, uh, sorry, Tommy, uh, like an optimal. This is if you mm. want to maximize, 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 then obviously having the glycogen yep. and those growth factors, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. At the start when you said this mechanism can't work in a deficit of energy, mm. 
what's going on when the newbie comes into the gym and they lose fat and build muscle at the same time or does that not happen or so that's usually like what can happen is and i think uh menno Hensemans talks about this a bit as well is that it is possible to both you know recomp to lose a little bit of fat and gain a little bit of muscle I think with a newbie, what's happening is because that signal is so strong and we're having other other things going on, like just the mechanical signaling is so yeah. high, mm. um, but you're also getting this redistribution of, of the energy, right? So if he's losing fat, that fat's going somewhere and that can be used to actually fuel the energy status. Right, 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 right. So he had enough protein there and he just needed the energy to build the muscle and the, 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 the yes. m- mobilized fatty acids actually fuel that. Yeah, uh, yeah. so he's essentially just repartitioning that energy if you think about it that way it's moving from fat cells it's being utilized by the muscle tissue um, and then it's producing muscle growth now if that guy or girl was in a in a deficit at the time of doing this you'd probably still expect some muscle growth and that's because of the the mechanical factors involved that we're going to talk about in a little bit yep Um, but if they were in a energy balance or in maybe a slight surplus, you'd probably expect to see a lot more muscle growth. Right. Um, but the, it will occur just because of the novelty of that stimulus, plus they're getting this redistribution of where the nutrients coming in are going. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. That's and the really body has an amazing ability to uh, to adapt and survive, you know, if we, we're... Yes. Putting a, a, a dropping a bar into the chest multiple times every day. That, I mean, the body's yeah. gonna do whatever it needs to do to build muscle so it can keep that bar off. So, yep. you know what I mean? Like it yeah. might fly against what it would traditionally do just to survive. But yes. Um, yes, but for that that untrained person that steps in there, it's just such a new stimulus all round that there, there is this shock response from the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, right. I think even for an advanced trainee, it is possible to. Uh, do the same thing as recomping, but it's a it's a very finely tuned thing. Mm. Yeah. So for it, realistically, for that to happen, I don't think is the most efficient way of doing things. So mm. For the reasons for I sure. outlined, you know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so that's why you're still better off probably going through a cutting phase and a bulking phase. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. And and maybe because everything's happening so rap- rapidly for the newbie there, in the course of the week or the month, there'd be periods a day where they're losing a lot of fat and a day where they're building a lot of muscle. Yeah, and, and sure. At the end of the week, you pinch them and you go, oh, you've dropped fat and built muscle, but it, it hasn't been happening happening simultaneously. There's yeah. just been waves of mm. ebb, and ab, flow. ebb and flow. Yeah, and mm. I mean... But bear, it's just rapid because it's also new. Yeah and, yeah, and bear in mind, a lot of that lean mass is coming from glycogen storage as well. Yes. You know, so exactly. like if you train your chest heaps, your body basically stores more glycogen in your, in chest, your chest muscles because that's where it's needed. It needs a local fuel source. Yep. Um, so that's happening as well. You're getting this redistribution of the incoming carbs. If they're not really being used, they'll just kind of siphon them off and stick them into body fat. Adipose tissue. Uh, yeah, but instead now, because it's required as glycogen in the tissue, it's going to be stored there. It's going to make your muscles bigger and fuller. And a big component of lean mass is just like yeah. glucose What's and in the water muscle? inside the muscle. Yeah. yeah, interesting. And also, um, you, I mean, aside from um, you know doing the skin folds and, and concluding they have muscle mass, if visually they look like they have more muscle, it could well be you know just redistribution of, of tissue. You know, yes. they're, they're 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 not using their you know, posterior delt, and their chest is bigger, or their quads are bigger. You know, so you yep. you might see some of that uh, that, that shuffling of, of, of tissue redistribution as well. Yeah, in those early stages. Okay, yeah, definitely. Great, it's all making sense. All right, next. Energy status continued, or we're we squaring that I one away? I think energy status is good. Groundskeeper Willie 
part one on his mTOR segment. Uh, mate, that's already making more sense to me. Mm. Mm. Uh, really fascinating stuff. Well, I think we're going to use uh, Lukey as a our go-to guy for dumbing down the study, so we can actually understand them. That's understand. where we're going to use him moving forward. He, he was obviously being uh, listeners of uh, remember him from uh, you know looking at the endocrine system, but now we're just going to get him in put him under the spotlight, study that's come out and uh, really break it down for us. So that was part one. Yeah, so I think, you know, what he was saying there about the role of insulin, um, mm. uh, the importance Maybe of Maybe it's those. not such a demon after all. Yeah, yeah, it can certainly be utilised. Mm. And uh, the positive energy balance, the requirements from a mechanistic mm. approach towards building muscle, yep. that also makes a lot of sense. That's, yeah, it um, makes perfect sense yeah. if, if, if you think about it. Why would the body build muscle uh, so it needs more energy, more energy substrates to actually build the muscle in a negative energy balance? Yeah. Uh, is this thing going to happen? Yep. Or so, not efficiently? So we'll have Luke back on next week where he'll go through the amino acids, the mechanical stimuli, stimuli. and supplementation. So awesome. fascinating stuff there. Made another big show comes to an end. Uh, if anyone would like to contribute and lay some speak pipe, yes. go to the website under the bar podcast.com. Uh-huh. Click on the link and uh, leave a message. You, Rodan and I will do our best not to answer that question yes. on the well, show. Well, 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 we can guarantee some polywafflers will, <laughs> will certainly occur. Yeah, a bit of a shout-out to a few of the polywafflers that were at the Christian Marie seminar as well. Yes, There were yes. some um, oh, wasn't there? really high-quality... Look, uh, and, and <laughs> it was quite a... There were quite a few... Uh, some of our, the, for our listeners, there were a couple of my clients there and a, a couple of your clients. And it was sort of like, it was we're going po- to head-to-head. Yeah. Who, who would have the most polywaffle? And just, Justin uh, from Tasmania, oh, uh, the Iron Warrior, He's good. He was great. He's he was good. great. But I got to say, I think he was outdone by your your clientele. My God, they were outstanding. Yeah. Though Nathaniel probably didn't poly well for enough, uh, and he actually got top scored. I think his yeah, answers to all yeah. the exams were very good. Nathaniel but Webb, he was he had the best written answers. Yes. Just very that, humble at the front there, just getting the job done. But that actually, Ashley, oh Ashley Bowen from Agent of Change PT over in Bondi, she's Jeez. good. She She's was good. outstanding. She the polywaffle. I'll tell you who else was very good. Uh, your boy, Carl McKenna. Oh, wasn't it? I'll tell you what. Up at the back of the class. <laughs> he can polywaffle. He, he can polywaffle the bit with his little magnet on the side of his noggin. Oh, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. He's actually working with the, the delightful Francine Sabat at the moment. So he's, oh, uh, he him. likes to uh, experience different coaches. So he's working with Francine. Wonderful. Uh, I'm assessing him, progressing really well. But yeah, Great. definitely. Great and, um, and a little shout out to uh, Shane O'Leary. Came yeah, over from, from, from uh, New Zealand. It was yep. good to uh, do a course with him, and uh, it wasn't too bad on the polywaffle himself. No, he was. He'd he probably was... spent a bit more time with us and sharpen up a little bit. Yeah, he, and, and he wasn't. Uh, it was a little quiet up the front. He was. <laughs> I could tell there was some sort of polywaffle going on, but yeah. he needs to be a little more audible. <laughs> yeah. But uh, very, very good. But an enjoyable seminar, and he'll be back next year. Uh, have a lovely day, and uh, we'll see you next, next week. week.